Three. There we go. Three, two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 111 of Sports Speak. Hope you're doing well. Back from a couple of week hiatus. I'm Eddie Kalegi. And I'm Tim Moore, hoping I can dodge the rain. Yes, fresh out of the rain. That's why Tim is a little moist right now. Uh, it's a pop-up shower in Austin in New York, but we have a lot to talk about. There's a week left in the Major League Baseball season, NASCAR in the middle of their postseason, NFL three weeks into their season, and lots of news on all those fronts. But we're going to have to start with safety of athletes because both the NFL and NASCAR yesterday ran into issues when it comes to concussions and athlete safety. Now, the NFL and NASCAR, in my opinion, of American sports are the two sports where you are at the greatest risk of head injury. And now we've seen Kurt Busch, of course, get hurt in NASCAR. Alex Bowman, very similar to Kurt Busch's wreck. Now he's going to be missing Talladega. And his wreck was definitely not as bad, at least from appearance, as Kurt Busch's. Didn't seem to hit the wall that hard, but the rear does not absorb the impacts on the next-gen car like the old car did, and clearly the drivers feel it, and clearly there's a problem, and NASCAR drivers have become outspoken on Twitter like Denny Hamlin, Kevin Harvick. Then, on the other side in the NFL, you know, concussions have always been the story. I mean, there's a Will Smith movie about it. And Tua Tagovailoa pretty obviously suffered a concussion in Sunday's game against the Bills. They brought him back in, which was the first bad thing. And then they approve him to play last night, suffers another concussion, very scary situation in Cincinnati, and to get stretchered off the field. And now the NFLPA is conducting investigations into, you know, Tua's, into the whole aspect of the Dolphins approving Tua to play. So... It's funny, both of these things kind of are the similar issue, but it's from two different sides of the equation. For NASCAR, you know, the car itself is not safe enough for these drivers, and now we're seeing repeated concussions. Cody Ware with a scary crash on Sunday, which is concerning. And then, the and, and by the way, is, he's going to be on the racetrack. He's yes. going to be on the racetrack. He's going to be going around in crutches. But what I was going to ask you while you are saying mm-hmm. that is, did you see the onboard look for Bowman or no? Did you get I did. to see that? Now? I did. Because I, what, the, the big thing that concerned me, you saw his head not just go once off the initial contact, but then when the car also gets turned and he goes back to the wall, he's going back and forth with his head twice. So we haven't seen, obviously, the side impacts um, have such an impact for concussions this season. Uh, just like how, I mean, Cody Ware, thankfully, because it was more of a side impact, obviously no rear impact, um, avoids a concussion. But I look at that same thing with Kurt Busch, you know, where it's like, all right, rear impact, obviously relatively stiff. But to me, I'm actually relatively surprised we're not seeing more drivers get concussed or at least maybe not being transparent about being concussed from side impacts. Because I yes. think about Daytona, think about how bad Daytona was, where you talked about a lot of guys. I mean, Bubba Wallace got hit in the back. Remember, he went drifting through the grass, didn't get the lucky dog, and he was screaming about his hand. So he almost broke his wrist. It's, it's a danger. And really, I'd say medicine and sports right now, all around, we have all this medical information, but it's almost like morality and how we treat things is never on the top of the platform. Yeah, and that's the point I wanted to make. While the NFL and NASCAR kind of are in two separate issues, it all comes together in one general idea here. It's that sanctioning bodies of sports, and it's concerning with the technology that we have and the how easy it is to treat concussions and other 
you know, serious injuries in sports, we're seeing them putting entertainment value first rather than worrying about the safety of their players or their drivers. NASCAR, of course, the next-gen car, they had an extra year to prepare for this, and they were having issues with the crash dummies, and they still didn't do anything to dissipate these impacts. And now we get into the year, and as these guys are getting repeated hits and hits, now we're seeing drivers missing races because of concussions. And the NFL wanted to attack Bailoa out there on Thursday night football when he clearly was not in the condition to do so and could have gotten him seriously hurt. So that's the general statement that sports leagues were seeing them not caring about the safety of their players or their drivers and instead want the entertainment value. Yeah, I, I just, again, I can't stand it. And I'll actually go to the two point real quick because to me, and um, oh goodness, um, I'm trying to remember uh, who's the left tackle of Chiefs? Is it Anthony Schwartz? Yes. So he made a tweet. I'm pretty sure I could be wrong. It could be the wrong Schwartz. Um, but either way, he went on. He went on a big, big rant on Twitter uh, after the NFLPA posted that they're going to be looking into this matter. And he, he made a very valid point in this regard. You know why? He, let's see. Even if last week he was fairly analyzed and he didn't have a concussion, it was truly the back injury, right? Why wouldn't you at least not risk it considering you saw his head go back and bounce off the turf that maybe not throughout the game because, right, he was cleared to come back in, but more of keep him on the concussion protocol throughout the week to make sure that more symptoms don't pop up because it's not just going to be – I mean, granted, when you have a concussion, there's some immediate responses, but I'll give an example. Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, on the NASCAR side, right? He talked about how he had a concussion at Talladega, but really it took a few days after the shock for the, the symptoms for him to really, really show and display saying, hey, something's wrong. He didn't get headaches right away, which is a big symptom with the concussions. Uh, Kurt Busch, actually the same thing where he felt, oh, he'd be okay the first few days. And that's honest to God too. Eddie, why I think Alex Bowman, uh, granted this is me speculating a little bit, but this is why I think Alex Bowman's announcement didn't come until yesterday because he may have not felt the symptoms. Remember, he finished the race in the car. He continued on with the concussion and finished, which is risky enough as it is. Of course, NASCAR doesn't exactly have a, a concussion protocol for mid-race because they can't analyze that. But it's more the fact that he himself maybe have not felt the symptoms right away. Thought, you know, maybe he just got his, his rocker knocked, as we like to say, and just had the breath knocked out of him for a little bit. Obviously tended to not be the case. But for the NFL, I mean, for, for I'll say it like this. For the NFL, in my opinion, the NASCAR, NASCAR situation is bad. But considering everything with CTE for the NFL and this direct focus on head injuries, it's almost like they're repeating and falling into a hole again. Because you just, you have to be so careful. I don't care if it's Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady dropping on their head. I don't care how good they are. I understand two has a lot of promise, but that's also how you ended NFL career relatively early. And I can tell you from my perspective, I know I'm not a doctor, but uh, when you see how Tua kind of clenched him, himself with his hands and so on, um, that's not a minimal concussion. Uh, that's very, um, how, how do I put it? Um, there was a player in college. He played in the NFL for a little bit. His name is Jahavid Best, a running back. Very well known for a play where he tried to hurdle a defender in the end zone, landed on the back of his neck and his head, and you can see him lights out very similar to Tua in regards to his response on the ground. That's called a major concussion. That's going to keep you out for a good little bit. Now, could he also have a stinger? That's also very possible. Um, but at the same time, the NFL, 
again, I could have avoided this situation because to me, he showed concussion-like symptoms against Buffalo, but it's only fair that we give the Dolphins at least the benefit of the doubt until information comes out. But just something didn't seem right. Everyone, let's be honest, everyone watching, not just that game last week, but in general was very you know, highly uh, criticizing it. So there is reason for a lot of people to believe there was a lot of tampering in play. And let's also not forget this. We are talking about Miami, might I add you. So this wouldn't be the first time they pull something not so sane if that's to be the case. Yeah, yeah. There's been a lot of scandals. Their owner isn't even allowed with the team right now. He's currently serving a suspension through the middle of the season. So uh, not not to directly blame the Dolphins in any way, but you know this team has had issues very recently in terms of transparency issues with the NFL. So it wouldn't surprise me. But yeah, I like that point you made because, you know, as bad as the NASCAR situation is, and we're going to talk about Texas in a moment and a lot of other issues there, NASCAR does not have a history of drivers having post-concussion issues and CTE later in their lives. The NFL not only has had that issue, they've had, you know, players die because of CTE. They've had movies made about this problem and their inability to act. So, you know, that's concerning to see them taking sort of backward steps with the way Tua was treated. And I know he's a big time player. I know they wanted him out there on Thursday night football against the Bengals, but you have to think about the safety of your players first. So I'm going to leave it at that. Let's go to NASCAR because there's a lot to talk about from this Texas race on Sunday. I feel like every possible aspect of a bad NASCAR cup race happened in that race. You had rain get involved. You had the race be at Texas, which was destroyed by the reconfiguration. You had poor officiating. I don't understand how they did not see Denny Hamlin get spun out by William Byron until after the subsequent green flag. I know there'd been an accident in turn four, but it's not like Martin Truex Jr. flipped over. He clipped the wall and he spun. I, you, and this was also at the start finish line. That's where they're all stationed watching the race. I don't know how you don't see that happen. The whole issue with Ty Gibbs and Ty Dillon on pit road, very dangerous with Ty Gibbs nearly pushing Ty Dillon into pit crew members and officials. And then of course, on top of that, not just the safety issues of the next gen car, but also the continued issues with Goodyear tires with tires blowing for leaders and playoff drivers for the second straight week at a completely different type of track. So for all these reasons, you know, Next Gen has produced better racing at some tracks. I'd even say to some extent, the racing at Texas at times was a little better than what we've seen in past years. But even still, there are a lot of drawbacks right now with this car. And I don't feel like they were ready to release it in 2022, which is disappointing because they had a whole extra year to do it. And I know COVID happened. I know supply chain issues happened, but still technological development for safety and how these tires work. You could have been doing that during that time. And it feels like they didn't really test this car out enough and just big issues. And it's really impacting the playoff picture. You know, remember what I said last week, I said, there was no possible way after what happened at Bristol that Texas tire wise could be any bit worse. And while technically I'm right, there was less cut down tires at, at, um, at Texas compared to Bristol, the cut down tires we saw at Texas were massive impacting moments. You know, I think about this race, if I'm being honest, Eddie, 
very reminiscent of Auto Club, the first Auto Club, or I should say the first only Auto Club, at least earlier on in the season, where you saw guys randomly out in front pacing themselves, having to slow it down to make sure they didn't cut down a tire. You know, uh, you, you think about Tyler Reddick dominating the race. You had, at one point, William Byron. He gets involved in the accident as well. Eric Jones had a good car. All the problems. You had Brad Keselowski cut down a tire and, and so on. There was so much chaos throughout that race. But here's my thing that really bothers me to this point about the next gen. And it's not just the tires cutting down. It's not just the safety. At what point does NASCAR have the decency to take credibility to a situation? Because I haven't seen it yet to this point. Maybe only once this year have they taken some more credibility, and that's with the fire, at least, uh, that happened at Darlington for Kevin Harvick, where they said, hey, we saw it was a rubber buildup. We're going to turn around and change it. And for, to this point, they have made changes to fix something like that. But when you're drivers, and it's been all season long, it's not just because Alex Bowman got a concussion. It's not just because Kurt Busch had a concussion. You've had guys complain all season long about hard hits. Um, I'm surprised, honestly, this year we haven't seen any back injuries, if I'm being truthfully honest, because I always think about hard hits and what happened to Eric Almirola at Kansas. Well, when we go to all these steep bank racetracks, which also, to another point, where have we seen most of the tire issues coming from? The steep banked racetracks we go to. And I'm not saying that's to blame, but I think it plays a factor in the fact that Goodyear's tire and the change they made for it simply can't handle it. And this whole race for me was the epitome. The fact that you wanted to stay out on 50 to 60 lap old tires because you were so scared of cutting down a tire. Same thing at Bristol. People were staying out in 80 lap old tires. Track position is a big race at Texas. I understand that. But in what world should somebody on fresh uh, fresh tires restarting, let's say, 10th or 12th, not even get back into the top five compared to somebody that has 80-lap old tires and, let's be honest, could have two to three-second fall off on that? Remember, this next gen was supposed to be touted because it was supposed to be the most difficult car to drive, and that's what makes it so special. Yet... I don't exactly see it being the most difficult. It's still difficult to pass. Give Kyle Busch that credit. He's been complaining about that since the first week. It's almost like we've gone backwards with it. And while the racing this season, let's put it like this, and we'll, we'll look at the playoff picture at least. While the racing, yes, has so many winners. Can you name a race this year? Or I shouldn't say, well, there's a couple, but can you name a race at least this season where the driver who has led the most laps, dominated most of the day, went on to win a race? I can't really name any. I can name William Byron of Martinsville. That was the one I was thinking of, and that was that, because that, nobody could pass that, at the short track. That, but that's about it. Where, where, how many, how many more races can we see someone that was in the top two, top three all day, led a bunch of laps, go on to win? And I'm not saying that that happens to happen every week, but why do these things not happen? Tire failures, random issues, just out of nowhere. The car is dysfunctional. It's absolutely dysfunctional. And the fact that NASCAR can't stand in the big thing here for the playoffs. What frustrates me about the playoffs is it's supposed to be the driver that wins the championship. Well, granted, I know we have rounds, but the old style, at least, was the driver who was the most consistent at the end of 10 races went on to win a championship. This playoff is looking like the driver who survives at the end of 10 races and hopefully doesn't have a mistake 
will be the champion. There is only one driver to this point left in the playoffs that has not had something go wrong, and it's Joey Logano. That is the only driver left that has not had an issue yet this playoff. Well, and he did blow a tire at Bristol, so technically, well, yeah, technically, theoretically, yes. Yeah. His was not severe, though. He just had a flat tire, went down pit right. road. Fortunately for him, didn't do any damage. But I just want to add, you know, piggyback off that. It's it's frustrating because it's so difficult right now with this t- format that they're working with to crown a legitimate champion because. And I don't think any playoff format would really help, whether this was the Winston format, the old Chase format, because the car is kind of destroying this because it's about who can last the longest. And it's not you can bring bring the car to a track, and odds are you're not coming out with it because the faster. And the one thing they brought mentioned last week, too, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's more of the more faster they go, the more they correlated with the fact that the more they're cutting down tires. Why? I understand Cambers, but how long are we going to blame Cambers for? A lot of these teams at this point in the season, I think, should understand how aggressive and aggressive they can't go with Cambers. How much are we going to continue to blame teams for that? Because a lot of teams, and God, I forget who it was last week that blew out a tire, but you looked at the tire, they turned around, they, they put four fresh tires on, and they took off all the tires right of the car after whatever, and they had a tire that simply, um, that really had no impact in terms of aggressive camber, could not go physically another lap while every other tire showed no problems or signs of any issues away. Mm-hmm. There's just, there's been so many crazy things during this postseason. You know, first of all, Kurt Busch probably would have been in the round of 12 if he had not gotten injured because he would have made the postseason with his win. And the first round had arguably his two best tracks in the cup series, which are Kansas, which he won at earlier this year and Bristol where he's won several times before Alex Bowman now is going to have to win at the Roval, which probably isn't going to happen. That's going to knock him out of the Well, Let's be likely. I honestly don't think he's coming back for the Roval. Yeah. If I'm being truthfully honest, again, that's me speculating, but I, I just don't see how he would be able to respond right away and, and do stuff. I, I just don't see with as hard of a hit as it is. And I'm not, you know, speculating again the major amount of concussions he's had. But to me, I just think it's too risky for to come back and attract that might I add, you want to talk about risk of backing into a wall. Now Talladega, of course, you know, you have the big one at the risk. I get that. But the Roval literally has accidents every year where somebody gets backed into a wall, especially in terms what if they get turned yeah i was thinking about that too i know people are very nervous for example with everything that happened at texas about the cars going to talladega honestly the roval to me is scarier than talladega with the way we're seeing drivers getting injured in crashes Dega's gonna have its big ones to be honest talladega hasn't been that chaotic the last few times they've gone there hasn't been nearly what daytona has been and as you know visually scary as some of the accidents can be when cars get up in the air Harrison Burton walked away from his accident okay. Chris Buescher rolled over a bunch of times. He was completely fine. It's these soft rear impacts, and easily at at the Charlotte Roval, you can have someone kind of overrun a corner, run into the back of you, spin you out, you slam your car rear first into the outside wall. So that's scary. And when you talk about the playoff picture, I just want to finish with that. You know, Kyle Busch, for example, twice the car has just failed on him. It wasn't even tires. It was just the car itself failed on him. Kevin Harvick's car just caught on fire at Darlington. Ryan Bellini cut down a tire at Bristol 
and ended up having arguably the most disastrous 25 laps of a race that I have ever seen in the Cup Series because his car, <laughs> the tow link broke, everything that happened on pit road, and all of that was because of the next gen car. I said, how about Bubble Wallace too? Bubble Wallace literally the last two races, three laps into the race, turned around and lost power steering. Literally just out of nowhere, no signs of it. Just, I don't got it. It just disappeared. And he's not the only one. And it's interesting too, because when there's dysfunctions, it's like every, and I'm not saying it's manufacturers or whatever, but it's like, for example, Ford. Who was having all the tire problems at Bristol primarily? It was the Ford group. Who was having all the engine and power steering issues at Bristol uh, for to, uh, overall in the race? While some of it was Chevy, uh, theirs wasn't as bad. It was all Toyota. And then, of course, Kyle Busch, you mentioned the engine just randomly explodes. And he wasn't the only one. Martin Truex Jr. as well had problems. Uh, Chevy seems to have error codes on their engines and overheating and things not working. So I'm not saying it's all manufacturing based but when you want to talk about spreading in terms of differentiation between the manufacturers it's more of the fact that these issues continue to arise and in my opinion it just has to be the parts man it has to be the parts that put the car together between safety between functionality there is something wrong there it's not connecting and nascar just simply can't put one plus one together well we'll leave it at that for now talladega coming up this weekend playoff picture getting very interesting one fortunate thing, I'll just finish with this for NASCAR, is that you know how people get frustrated with the playoff format when, for example, when Kevin Harvick didn't win the championship when he was the best driver. They're fortunate that there's nobody who's really jumped out as the best driver this season. So I don't think there's going to be as much anger on that front with who ends up being the champion when it comes to survival. But I'll leave it at that. Let's Will, we see winners? Will we see 20 winners? Uh I don't know. I, I could see another new winner at Talladega. I think, I think either Blaney or Kozlowski is going to win before the end of the season. Kozlowski's figuring out the next-gen car. Blaney's had a lot of speed, and he's going to need these wins for the playoffs, and he's going to two tracks he's won at before. So we shall see. And obviously, you can follow our NASCAR pick on Twitter at Sportspeak Live. Tim has finally passed me in the standings. You can also follow our NFL pick where right now I'm 4-4-1. Four, four, and one. Tim is 4-5. and five. But, Tim, you know who's 3-1? and one? Who? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. The only undefeated team in the NFL now. And the Giants thought you guys were going to beat Cooper Rush. I never said, well, hold on. If you go back and watch every other episode, initially I said the Giants were going to lose to the Cowboys. Uh, but think about who the quarterback was now. It was not that I, I, I Listen, if we won, great. If we didn't. We play the Bears this week. It's going to be a field goal fest. It'll be That's nice. Just a horrible football game. Justin Fields is a horrible quarterback. I understand. I want to get defend that guy. I just don't understand it. I don't. I think he is simply Tim Tebow is a better QB than him, and I, that's saying something. I think Tim Tebow has more of an impact on a football field than Justin Fields. I'm tired of the excuses. Well, you know who is a great quarterback? Jalen Alexander Hurts. He has been playing fantastic NFC offensive player of the month. He finally has a set of weapons he can work with. A.J. Brown, when A.J. Brown's covered, that's okay. You've got Devontae Smith. He was quiet week one. He's had seven catches each of the last two weeks. He's got a serviceable tight end in Dallas Goddard. The run game has actually been pretty solid so far this season. And the defense for the Eagles has been great, especially in the secondary. Darius Slay dominated Kirk Cousins on Monday Night Football. He also played well last week against Washington. The defense had nine sacks on Carson Wentz. I know it was the Lions, the Vikings, and the Commanders, but 
The Eagles also have the easiest schedule in the NFL this season. So this could really work out for them. I do think this Sunday is going to be a difficult test because Doug Peterson has put together a nice thing so far with the Jaguars this season, and he is going to be motivated to try to beat the Eagles. I think that's going to be a fun game. I think we're actually going to see a lot of scoring in that game, but I think the Eagles are in a good position to get to 4-0, and and I'm really liking this team, especially with it becoming very obvious that pretty much all the other NFC contenders have glaring weaknesses. Well, I think the big thing really that's also impressed me, at least for the Eagles, has been the offensive line being able to stay healthy to this standpoint. You know, I think healthiness is a big key for the Eagles going forward because that's going to be the difference in the season, I think, for Jalen Hurts. As long as he has targets, he's going to be okay throwing the football. The big thing is, though, is that he's going to have to protect himself running the football, because I feel that's the only downfall. They haven't ran the ball outside of Hurts, of course, but they haven't ran the ball as strongly to their liking yet um, to, to this point. But the Eagles are definitely proving why right now they're the strongest team in the NFC East. It's just more of a matter of when they get later into the season, can they simply just stay healthy? Because I always think about, even though, granted, Nick Foles' Super, uh, Super Bowl run happened, what happens if Nick Foles doesn't perform that? The Eagles' fate, it's just like the, the I'll give another example, the Raiders. Uh, remember when the Raiders had Derek Carr have a borderline MVP season, he gets hurt, they turn around, they get eliminated. I think the Cardinals as well get eliminated first year that, uh, first round of the playoffs that year too, maybe. Um, I think, yeah, that was when Chris Strebler had to start. Yes. Yeah. So overall, I mean, you just, you don't want, to put yourself in the risk and realizing the Eagles overall as the season goes on, they'll play a little bit safe, but definitely, definitely a good start. And it's just the fact of the matter of, you know, also I, I would say defensively, if everyone can continue to stay aggressive because Darius Slay, James Bradbury, give them credit. They continue to play really, really locked down defense. And I'll, I'll tell you what, the Eagles are really good, obviously, put mixing his own in, but they're also really good with fan coverage. Uh, it's a really good balance. So I want to do something. We're three weeks in, week four coming up. One team that has surprised you in a good way, one team that surprised you in a negative way. I'll start. In a good way, Miss Alter is not here, but the Detroit Lions have been impressive. They have scored more touchdowns than any other team in the first three weeks of the NFL season. They are going to be without Amon Ross St. Brown this week, which will be a big loss. I'll be curious to see how they piece together the offense without him, how Hawkinson gets involved. DeAndre Swift may also miss this week, but they are a gritty team. We knew that last year. They had some shortcomings, but the offense, even with Dan Campbell calling the plays, has actually made some steady improvements. Jared Goff has looked pretty good so far. They're able to march down the field pretty easily. And I think this team has some real sneaky potential if they can stay healthy to maybe get eight or nine wins, especially with, as I've mentioned, the NFC having a lot of weaknesses with the Packers and Bucks, Brady and Rodgers have no receivers. The Rams are having a bit of a Super Bowl hangover. Dak's out. The Eagles are unproven. The Vikings are unproven. There's a lot of potential for a wide open NFC. So that's the positive. The team I got to go with the negative. I'm going to stick with the AFC West. I'm not going to say the Broncos because we, we, we know what the deal is there. I'm going to say the Raiders because they're 0-3 right now. I mean, nobody saw that coming. The AFC West as a whole has struggled so far. Uh, the Chargers with Justin Herbert getting hurt has kind of hurt them. They are just decimated with injuries. Joey Bosa's out. Uh, they lost Slater for the season, their offensive tackle. 
They've had Keenan Allen out. So I think they're going to get better as the season goes on, as they get a little healthier, but the Raiders have just been very disappointing to start this season. Uh, the way they blew that game against Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, really unimpressive. Devontae Adams isn't even getting that many touches on this team, which is bizarre with how much of the load that he got with Green Bay. And they're just not playing very well right now. And I know people say an interim coach is meant to be interim at times, but we'll talk about baseball in a second. Brian Snitker was meant to be an interim manager and now led the Braves to a World Series. Rich Bisaccia took a completely out-of-control situation with John Gruden leading, leaving and was able to get the Raiders to the postseason. I don't understand not bringing him back and bringing in Josh McDaniel, at least for a year. Give him a shot to coach this team for one full season. If it doesn't work, you could go get someone else. Chances were Josh McDaniel, if he didn't get the Raiders job, would have been back with New England, and then you could have gotten him a year later. So, you know, or maybe even Sean Payton, when he's taking the year off, he's going to be out there as someone you could get for the 2023 season. So I don't understand why the Raiders didn't give him a chance. And I'm really disappointed. And they still haven't played the toughest of the tough from the AFC West yet. So I think the Raiders are in serious trouble. So optimistic about the Lions, very pessimistic about the Raiders. How about you? I think it's funny Patrick Graham left the New York Giants to go be the defensive coordinator for the Raiders, and they're 0-3, and the Giants are 2-1. and Who would have thought that? But um, I'll say it like this. First off, uh, I'll ask a question. Isn't DeAndre Swift also hurt, or is he playing this yes, week? Yes, yes. So that's that's a little bit tough for the Lions, too. But they, they've also been really good on the ground game. Um, you know, Jamal Williams has played very, very well. Um, I would say, though, my surprise, honest to God, the Jacksonville Jaguars, nobody's talking about how good this offense has been. You know, give Trevor Lawrence a lot of credit, Doug Peterson a lot of credit. This team has played some really good, solid football. And while I know they had a meltdown week one against Washington, which is not exactly a promising football team, the fact that they were able to turn around, dominate Indianapolis, play again, more, uh, more solid football again last week, I really feel that... The, the Jacksonville Jaguars have something a little bit working here. Again, I'm not saying that they're going to turn around and exactly, you know, go far in a playoff run this year, but in what's relatively a very wide open AFC South, which I think everyone can agree is the worst division in football again this season, unfortunately. Uh, and what I mean is in terms of past history, we know the AFC South has been unpredictable. Um, I think the fact of the matter for the Jacksonville Jaguars, there's a lot of potential for Doug Peterson to turn around and maybe take this division. Um, but on the negative side, I first off have to agree because the Raiders would have been my pick. I don't think anyone would have thought that team would have been 0-3 uh, after all the moves it made. It's just a little bit, it's a little bit surprising to me. But I'd say maybe the bigger disappointment I may have, and granted, I know they don't have DeAndre Hopkins. Um, maybe the Cardinals. I just don't feel like Kyler Murray has played to his fullest potential. Um, I, and granted, I know they're not exactly doing the worst, but I, I just, I'm not really bought in with what the Cardinals have done to start the year. They look pretty lost. And if I'm going to be honest, I don't know if they're going to be a playoff team come season's end. Yeah. And the weird thing is they usually get off to the big start. And it's the second half of the season when they fall apart, they're not even getting off to the cliff Kingsbury start this year. 
And this is with the NFC West having a lot of questions. There was an open opportunity. If the Rams had a Super Bowl hangover, Seattle's in a rebuild, 49ers with the crazy quarterback situation. So there was a real opportunity for the Cardinals to get off to a good start, and that hasn't happened. I know, like you said, DeAndre Hopkins is out, but Hollywood Brown is there. A.J. Green is there. They have a solid running game led by James Conner, and it's just not coming together. So I agree with you there. About six minutes left in the show. We're going to go to MLB rapid fire now with the baseball season one week away from concluding. Yankees have clinched the AL East. They got the one seed. We've talked a lot about a matchup with the Astros probably in the ALCS is going to determine who's going to be going to the World Series. But Aaron Judge chasing history, hit the game, the 61st home run to tie Roger Maris for the AL record. He's coming back home looking to get the record. I think he's definitely going to get it. He'll hit a home run in the last few games of the season. But my question is this. In your mind, Tim, who who has the, what is the record for home runs? Does this make him the Major League Baseball record holder, or is it still Barry Bonds for a single season? Oh no, it's Barry Bonds. I, yeah. I listen. No, no offense to Aaron Judge, again being a Yankees fan, but listen, I don't care about steroids on steroids. Listen, you got to have talent to still hit a baseball. And honestly, this whole stuff with Barry Bonds not being in the Hall of Fame and, and everything to me is bothersome because it's baseball history at the end of the day. Rather he cheated or not, if if he cheated then eliminate his records. It's that simple. If, if baseball cares that much, eliminate everything, you know, in terms of Barry Bonds. But they didn't do that. So in my opinion, again, not that again that big debate, but in my opinion, he should be a Hall of Famer if they're not going to do that. So with that being said, in my opinion, Barry Bonds is the record holder, but Aaron Judge, while yes, he owns the clean record, who also says Aaron Judge, and I'm not exactly speculating, but who says Aaron Judge is exactly clean? Remember, they haven't tested for steroids in about two years because of everything that went on. And while they're just starting to test players now, maybe Judge could have done something over the offseason. You never know. I mean, they, it's a it's possible. And honestly, I told Raheel this too. I felt the Yankees this year, if something successful would happen to win a World Series after Boone's whole rant about Houston and how he couldn't get over cheating at the start of the season, Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. 